1: Um, yeah, for those of you who don't know me, we've got some visitors in the room. My name's Bree. I'm the youth pastor here at York Street and super excited to be bringing you the word this morning. Um, you've picked a good week. Anthony is right. We're in, a, in the middle of a series called Awkward Conversations, so that's fun. I enjoy awkward conversations. Not sure if you can tell. Um, so I just want to, um, we've sent the kids out to Kids Church, but I do just want to give another little disclaimer to any parents in the room. This message will be along the lines of some adult themes, but I think we're good. I don't think there's too many, too many children that will have any idea what I'm talking about in the room. So... Um, Yeah, let's just pray. I want to pray too. Let's just pray before we get into it. Cannot pray enough. Let's do it. Um, Father God, we come before you today. Um, We come before you open and expectant um, of your word. We want to hear you speak to us this morning. Um, God, I know that you've been laying a message on my heart for our church, for our congregation, and for our community. Um, God, and I just pray that, um, Holy Spirit, you would just... Give that life and breathe that into people's hearts um, and people's um, people's spirits that they would know deep down um, what it is that you're speaking to them, God. Um, thank you for this series called Awkward Conversations. Um, you know, some of those things that we sometimes feel uncomfortable um, talking about, those are things that we want to bring into the light and we want to bring before you and we want to ask you to minister to God. And before we start, I do want to pray a protection over each and everyone here, everyone listening at home. I want to pray protection over people's minds, but anything that that, that may be brought up or triggered by um, by these conversations, that your hand would be a Upon that, that it would only be your voice speaking into those spaces, that it may not be a gateway for the enemy um, to whisper into our ears through through this message. God, this is we are we are declaring a space for you. And we offer it up to you. Um, and God, I just pray that, that you would make us feel uncomfortable. And um, this is an uncomfortable topic and, and, and we should feel uncomfortable about it, God. But I just pray that you would stir our hearts and that you would fan into flames anything that's burning within us. Any, any desire to, towards advocacy, any desire towards conviction, towards action, towards repentance. God, that you would have your hand on that. In your son's mighty name. Amen. Okay, so I want to get into the Word. If you've got your Bibles there, join me in turning to, I want to take us all the way back to Genesis. Um, I want to start by reminding us who we are and whose we are. So we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1. I want us to remember what we were created for and who created us. I mean we've all heard the story of Adam and Eve, but I just can't keep coming, can't help but to keep coming back to these scriptures. Um, Every time I sink into this this section, the gold that is squeezed out of it, that they become more illuminating for me. And um, I want to bring you through that with me, um, if I may. It's the beginning, it's the foundation and it underpins everything that comes after. It underpins, um, it holds so many of the keys to our identity, but also to God's character and to our ongoing state of being and the situations that we experience living in this world in its current state. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see God creating the land and the sea and the sky We see creation of the plants, the animals, the sea life, and we want to pick up in verse 27, where it reads. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. And if we skip down to verse thirty-one. It says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. So what we see is God created us male and female. He created our bodies and our minds, our spirits and our souls. He created us in his own likeness. He created us for one another. He even goes as far as to say, be fruitful and multiply. Multiply. So what I'm hearing is that God wants us to enjoy lots of one another. And he does all this and then he declares it very good. Men and women were created to be together and God says it's good. Not taboo or shameful or seedy or anything that our culture would have it become. But it's natural and it's life-giving and it's good. So I want to stay in these verses for a little longer here because I think it's important to build this foundation. See, especially in church, we can sometimes feel a little coy, a little embarrassed, maybe awkward, but dare I say even shameful of topics like this one which is not surprising, and we'll see why that's not surprising as we continue reading these scriptures. But I really want to get a glimpse at God's heart here. His heart for us as men and women, his heart for marriages and families and sexuality, because as we continue reading, we'll see God's heart was something beautiful and enriching. It was a powerful union created for our good and for his glory. God's heart was never, ever shame. So we're going to pick up our scripture again in chapter 2, verse 8, and it reads, Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It goes on to talk a little bit more about the layout. So we'll pick back up at verse 15. It says, the Lord God made the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And we'll skip to verse 21, which reads, so the Lord God caused the man to fall asleep. And While he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now I want to pause on the words used here for suitable helper. I'm oversimplifying it a little bit. But the word ezer or helper means helper and assistance. But it's not a term that suggests anyone is greater than the other. It's not like he's the worker and she's just the helper. That's not it. It's actually the same term used for God's grace towards us. And so it suggests a kind of help and assistance that the recipient could never achieve on their own. So that combined with the word connectgo, which is, like, which is likened to the word correspondence or according to his correspondence. See, the woman would be to man what none other in the whole of creation could, which is his unique counterpart. By design, uniquely suited for him. It paints a picture of man and woman coming together in a way that complements each other perfectly by design, in a way where one is lacking, the other may hold them up, and vice versa. Verse 24 goes on to say, That is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were naked, and they felt no shame. How beautiful and romantic, but also spiritually powerful is that. The idea of man and woman, the counterparts and image bearers of God, being united together as husband and wife and becoming one flesh. And you know what I think is also so cool? Cool is those instances where modern science kind of catches up to what these ancient, ancient texts have been telling us for thousands of years and confirms confirms what we see here in Scripture. See, modern-day neuroscience and research means that we are now aware of the chemicals that are active and being produced when a man and a woman maybe see each other from across a crowded room. Because of medical research, we now know what happens when maybe their hands brush up against one another for the first time, and we feel that attraction and that excitement. One of those chemicals is called dopamine. It's a reward chemical. It's crucial to our survival because it's the same chemical that tells us we've done a good thing when we eat if we're hungry or when we drink if we're thirsty. It keeps us, keeps us alive, so that's good. Um, but it's also produced through physical contact with an intimate partner, whether that's just holding hands or whether it might be kissing or whether it's becoming one flesh. But it's a chemical that our bodies are designed to seek again and again. We seek out this reward. It keeps us returning to our partner long after the honeymoon phase is over. Another chemical involved here in our brains is called oxytocin, and this is a bonding chemical. It's the same chemical produced by mothers when they hold their babies or breastfeed their babies, and it's calming and builds closeness and trust. Mums, you guys will understand, we don't just feel like this over any baby, but when this chemical is at play, the attachment and the closeness that it builds and um, produces is unexplainable. And men, you guys will experience vasopressin, which generates similar feelings of protection and loyalty and bonding. How cool is it that God built within us something to be released to protect the covenant of marriage and family and connection? Maybe he knew some days wouldn't be easy. (laughs) But he gave us help. Help to continue to choose each other day after day, year after year. It's cool, huh? Well, we know that it did not stay rose petals and candlelit dinners in the Garden of Eden for long, which also shed some light on some of our brokenness in these spaces as well. We know that Satan wants to destroy everything that God created He wants to ravage everything that is good and beautiful. He wants to twist it and bend it bit by bit into something that no longer even resembles what God had intended it for at all. So let's pick up our scripture again in chapter 3, verse 6, where Satan has disguised himself as a serpent to tempt Adam and Eve to eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil. And it reads, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it and ate it. She also gave sun to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. When the man, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking through the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid. I hid. I mean, we've probably heard this story a thousand times in church, but friends, please, I beg of you, please don't ever become desensitized to the tragedy of what has happened here. And it continues to happen in our daily lives, in our families, in our marriages, in our communities, every single day. Something that God created so perfect and beautiful has been twisted into something just unrecognizable. I want to talk statistics for a moment. Some people like statistics and other people are a bit more visual, like myself. So I would like you to have a look around this room. There's, there's loads and loads of studies that have been done in these areas but the numbers remain pretty consistent across all different types of samples across you know all different types of research and studies they're really quite similar results um, I'm being quite conservative um, in this number because I chose an Australian study but it means it's a bit older and the numbers are Escalating. So I want you to picture 70% of this room. Not quite three-quarters. This is how many in this people in this room, based on the statistics, would consume pornography on a regular basis. Regular being in the last 30 days. And the number remains consistent whether or not we look inside the church or outside the church, whether we're talking about Christian schools or non-Christian schools, the numbers stay the same. It's actually higher if we sample 14 to 18 year olds. I wonder if that's a surprise to anyone. Also, a third of all pornography users are female, and it's creeping up towards 50-50. It is prolific. It's deceptive, like the serpent. The serpent said to Eve, You'll not certainly die. God just didn't want you to eat the fruit because he didn't want your eyes to be opened. You know, he was like, If you don't, you're really missing out. Chapter 3, verse 6 said, it was pleasing to the eye and looked desirable. And some people would say to me, yeah, (laughs) Bree, but who's it really hurting? Is it really hurting anyone? As long as all involved are consenting adults, then, you know, what's really the harm? There is virtually no way to tell if pornographic material is consensual or not. What we do know is it's the third highest industry linked to human trafficking, behind escort services and massage parlours. It can involve kidnapping, fraud, control, coercion. A yes is only valid if no is a legitimate option. Ethical porn is the biggest oxymoron I think I've ever heard. Who's getting hurt? How about our minds? We need to protect our minds. Remember those amazing brain chemicals that help us bond to our families and our spouses, that keep us returning to our partners for intimacy? They're being twisted and turned into a weapon against us. See, dopamine is released by viewing pornography as well. And it feels like a reward. Our bodies want to chase it again and again, making it super addictive. And just like many other addictions, desensitisation sets in, and we require more and more to get the same reward or the same high. And this often means greater consumption for longer amounts of time, or we need new material, of which the themes often escalate. Remember oxytocin and vasopressin? It can be calming and comforting. It's meant to make us feel safe and secure in our relationships with our spouse. Instead, pornography is being used as a stress relief, a way to numb difficult emotions and feelings that we would otherwise be turning to each other for or to God. It's taking the place of those things. I mean, you've probably heard of our brain's ability to build neural pathways. It's like the road most travelled. This is what happens when we consume pornography. And regular pornography use can create a state of over in our brains where every, sec- every situation becomes a potential sexual encounter and every member of the opposite sex a potential partner. Many pornography users have reported getting to a point where they're then unable to even walk down the street or look at a member of the opposite sex without thinking about what it might be like if they were a potential partner. This one blew me away. We are also currently seeing the highest rates of young men, teenage or young adult males, who cannot perform without the aid of pornography playing. Young, healthy men can have a real-life woman in front of them and it's just not going to happen. What is this doing to our brains? What is this doing to our minds? And what is it doing to our marriages? Remember that beautiful romantic depiction we spoke about before, the way God created us perfectly to complement one another and become one in the union he'd created as the covenant of marriage. Well, research shows that people who consume porn tend to become less satisfied in their relationships, less committed to their partners and more accepting of cheating. Over half of divorces involve at least one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Over half of divorces. So let's flip back to when Adam and Eve and when they, were, when they gave in to Temptation. I want to look at chapter 3, verse 11. God said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man says, That woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. <laughs> and then the Lord says to the woman, What is it that you have done? The woman said, that serpent deceived me and I ate it. They are pointing fingers, playing the blame game, and they're hiding from God. Neither one of them wants to stand up and take any accountability. And we watch in this passage that we're reading here. We watch in this passage as their relationship with God, their relationship with themselves and their bodies, and their relationship with one another just unravels. And the effects of pornography are infiltrating our families, what we would hold most dear and precious to us. It's tearing people apart. Guys, we cannot stay silent on this. And like I said in the beginning of the message, I don't want there to be shame here because God did not create us for shame. His purposes for us were good. But the fact is, there is a $6.2 billion a year industry that does not want good for us. It wants our clicks and our streams and our downloads it wants us watching for longer periods of time and it is willing to employ some of the smartest technical technological <laughs> technological minds to achieve that they will use pop-ups they'll drop sex bots into our dms they'll use clickbait They know what we scroll past and if we even pause for a millisecond longer, they know about it and they will send us more of that stuff just to fill up our feed. If you are on social media, you are being pursued by the pornography industry. Maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't and they've learned how to target women too. They understand that we are generally not as visual as men, that we need a storyline and a narrative, so they're building that into their content. It's easy to tell ourselves that if it's not a particular website, then it's innocent. Even some of the shows on Netflix. You know what's disturbing? Some of the most explicit shows that I've stumbled across on Netflix are set in high schools. So they are targeting minors by adapting this content for their context. And the storylines themselves are sexualizing children. I don't know which aspect of that feels worse to me. (laughs) I had a friend... This affects us without us even knowing. I had a friend sharing with me about a fairly moderate show on Netflix that she was watching. And it um, was one depicting the scandalous affair between a president and his mistress. Except that it was presented in a way that was degrading to the relationship with his wife. And glorifying of the relationship The extramarital relationship that he was having. And before you know it, as a viewer, you're aligning yourself and coming into agreement with an adulterous relationship. I mean, I've been caught on Facebook. You know, I think I'm reading a legitimate post about something, and I get literally minutes into reading it, and then I realize it's some kind of fictional erotica. I'm like, what am I reading? How did I get this far into reading this? What is going on? They're so sneaky, and you're in too deep before you notice. And if you get tricked once, it sends you more and more to fill up your feed. And it's a whole thing. They're smart. They're sneaky, like a serpent. Would it surprise anyone to know that the average age of first exposure to pornography is 12 years old and many stories are much younger? I myself was 13 and I was a good little Christian girl and it was before we had the internet in our pockets. And take this one in for a second around half of teenagers who view pornography said they did so to learn. Couple that with the fact that at least one in three videos depict acts of aggression or violence and we are beginning to paint a really disturbing picture for our children and society as a whole. And you know, the fact is, we can't protect ourselves from this. We can't protect our children from this unbelievably over culture that we live in. I mean, just a trip down the road to High Point, and there is a lingerie store, coincidentally owned by Playboy who will consistently and is known for consistently violating the advertising standards with their floor-to-ceiling advertisements in their windows um, objectifying women. This store is about three shops away from the food court and a playground. You can't even go to your local shopping centre without exposing our children to this kinds of stuff. But explicit materials in everything, isn't it? It's in the music on our radios, it's in the advertising on our TV, it's in jokes, it's in curse words and as I said, it's right in our pockets. So instead, let us equip our children. We can't take a passive back seat and let the world run the narrative around this stuff for our kids. You know, a couple of years ago, at a conversation with a young man. He probably would have been about 10 years old at the time. And it was around video games. And he said to me, yeah, but Brie, you have to be really careful with video games. And I said, oh, yeah. (laughs) Where's this going? You know, they can be addictive. Did you know that? I said, yeah, mate. (laughs) I did know that. Yep. And he said, yeah. We've got dopamine, he told me. (laughs) and he said you get a hit and it's addictive so it makes you just want to play more and more and you don't want to stop and I said yeah mate that's, that's, yeah that's true and then he said to me and then they rage <laughs> they, they get rage it's not good so he said you know what I prefer to do I prefer to be outside I prefer to be around, you know, out kicking the footy video, video games are not really for me And that stuck with me, that conversation really stuck with me because I thought, wow, someone has educated this kid on the risks of excessive video gaming and he's taken that and been able to to put that into really wise choices around, like wise and informed choices around what he wants to spend his time doing and what he wants to allow into his life. I see it as being similar for pornography Instead of our kids being exposed to pornography on the world's timeline, maybe it's an accidental pop-up, or maybe it's a friend at school, or someone shows them something. But you know, when you're not informed or educated, these things can be kind of alluring. Curiosity sets in. There's an element of secrecy. I mean, I'm definitely not telling mum and dad about this. And it's kept in the dark for them to think about and wonder about. But how empowering would it be for our kids to see pornography and think about, oh, I know what that is. That's pornography. I know about this. I know about the risks. I know what it does to your mind and to your life. And yeah... It's not really something I want to get involved with. How empowering. We need to equip our kids. And we need to renew our minds. Our brains are amazing. They can be retrained. When we know how we were created, when we know the beauty that we were created for, You know, and what we pour in is what pours out. So how can we up the ante on what we're pouring in? More Holy Spirit, more scripture, more worship, more serving, more good, positive, life-giving, faith-building, soul-nourishing material. Romans 12:2 says do not conform to the patterns of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your minds then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will We need to renew our minds And we need to fight for our marriages You know we are not powerless in this We have authority through Christ Jesus. 1 John 4 says, Little children, you are from God and have overcome them, for he who is within you is greater than he who is in the world. Holy Spirit within us can empower us to overcome temptation. You know, looking back at this picture of Adam and Eve blaming one another, refusing to take accountability, and I don't, I don't want to speculate. Maybe I do. I just like to wonder things. And I wonder if anything might have been different. If the end of the story might have been different. If instead of pointing fingers and making excuses and justifying their positions, I wonder what would have happened if they'd have just fallen at God's feet and cried, Father, help us. I mean we'll never know. They didn't do that. But we can. We can. We don't have to run and hide from God in shame. It's the it's the shame that keeps us stuck. It wants to keep us in the darkness where it has power over us. Guilt is different. Guilt is knowing we've done something wrong and allowing it to motivate us towards change. We can feel guilty for something, yet be brave enough to stand up and say, no, this is not what I want for myself, for my marriage or future marriage, for my spouse or my family or my relationship with God. We can choose to be brave enough to stand up and bring this battle into the light. If pornography is something you are battling with today, I can tell you that you are absolutely not alone and you don't have to do it alone. We can support you. But there absolutely is hope. God wants to restore every single part of you that has been touched by this. Please, please take that step out of the shame that tells you that people can never know. It's that same shame that made Adam and Eve hide in the trees. Recently, we had some incredible leaders share at youth about their personal experiences and struggles around this topic. And I can tell you that we absolutely did not think any less of them for a second for having struggled with this. In actual fact, I had such admiration for their bravery to stand up and refuse to be silenced on this topic, refuse to just sit by and let it wreak its destruction that penetrates through our society. We do not have to fight this in our own strength. That's the beauty of what Jesus has done for us. When we accept Jesus as our saviour, we recognise that we can't do anything apart from him. But in him... All things are possible. And there are so many pathways to freedom. It comes through partnering with the Holy Spirit. And we can help with advice about accountability software, counselling, ally relationships, accountability partners. Maybe you need healing or deliverance ministry. Maybe you're a spouse who's been affected. We can help you walk through it. We can pray with you. We can just listen. But the first step is getting it out in the open and bringing it into the light. Know that nobody here is going to judge. You can come see Alyssa or myself, Anthony or the elders, make an appointment during the week or just tell a trusted Christian friend. It is absolutely worth the fight our minds, our children, our marriages. It is worth the fight. So let's do it together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your presence in this space and we thank you for um, reaching out your hand and touching Our hearts, as we've been listening, some of these things are quite hard to hear. Um, Some of them might be confronting or deeply personal. God, I just pray your continued hand over these things. I just pray that you would embolden us to step out of those shadows, to decide that, you know, there is a future that holds so much freedom and so much hope that it is worth fighting for. God, I just pray that you would have your hand around all of the continued conversations. And I just pray continued protection over us as we go out from this place. In your mighty son's name, amen.
0: If you would like prayer or to find our sermon-based studies, please head to our website, or check the description below for a link. If you enjoyed the video, feel free to share the video, like, subscribe, and hit the bell icon for updates of when we release new videos. Remember, life can be tough, so let's do it together.